Baruch haba b'shem Adonai ki lishuateka kiviti Hashem. Ga'al Yisrael bimhena ve'yamenu may it be soon in our days that we are experiencing the final redemption, that the new era of mankind, all mankind experiencing the global redemption, may no one perish, may that be revealed soon in our days with the revealing of Mashiach ben David and the revealing of the Beit HaMikdash. May it be so, may it be the will of Adonai. So we are headed into the seventh day of Chag HaMatzot. This is Acharon Shel Pesach, the seventh day that we're headed into. Uh, as of this podcast, it is just a few hours before candle lighting uh, for the final day of the Yom Tov. And what is going on on the seventh day? Well, namely, this is where the splitting of the Yom Suf happens. So there's a lot that goes on. So I wanted to call this particular podcast, The Splitting of the Sea. And I want to pray that everyone has been mindful of the seven days of Chag HaMatzot, the week of unleavened bread, that we've been going through again the seven days of creation and bringing about a renewal to the order of the universe. Brought down by the Rokiach, Pesach 291, writes that when one eats matzah, during the seven days of Pesach, he becomes a partner with Hashem in creation. As it states, Yokel Matzot, Shivat Hayamim, or Matzot Yakel Shivat Hayamim. Slika, that is the correct order of that phrase. That is from Shemot 13.7, which means Matzot you shall eat. For seven days. Notice it doesn't say Shavat Yamim, but Shivat Haimim, which is a hey added to Yamim. And it says, It is written Shivat Haimim with an extra hey, implying to the seven days of creation. So there you go. We've been renewing the whole entire universe throughout this festival of Matzot. And the tool in which to do that is the Matzah. Just like the tool in which all of the universe was brought forth originally was the Matzah. I mean the Torah. I mean the Matzah, the Torah, the Matzah. Yeah, both. Because why? Matzah, same word for mitzvot. Mitzvot are offspring of Torah. So yes, that's right. The Torah is like a woman who gives birth without the intervention of a man to children. That's right. The Torah is virgin birth and the mitzvot are virgin birth. And so was Adam. And so are we when it comes to celebrating the matzah festival. So being born again is a big deal, and it's all about being born of the Spirit, which makes you born of a quote-unquote Alma, Betula, virgin. There you go. Please cross-reference this podcast with the Shabbat Chol HaMoed Drosh from Sarshalom Synagogue 5780. Please watch it like 16,000 times. 
I'm, I plan to watch it again. So I've already watched it twice. So I want to look at it again. But anyway, I want to open up the Art Scrolls door to page 79. Or Insight is going to be on page 78. But this is called Shirat Hayam, the song at the sea. It says that the early commentators note that the miracles of the Exodus, beginning with the 10 plagues, illustrate that God controls nature and our testimony to God as the all-powerful creator. No human being saw creation, but millions of Jews witnessed the Exodus. It... Its climax was the splitting of the sea. As the Haggadah relates, the miracles at the sea were five times as great as those that took place in Mitzrayim itself. Moshe and the entire nation marked the event in the glorious song of the sea, whose praise and faith fits that theme or fits the theme of the Suke de Zimra, the Psalms of Praise that we recite in our morning section of prayer. So here's the deal. Many people love miracles and awesome, amazing wonders and God's display of his mighty acts and things like that. Well, that's just a part of the program. That's not the entire program. Notice this is how we warm up. I mean, first of all, we warm up by saying morning blessings and then we go into the Akida and then we go into some testimonial uh, pray, pray, testimonial declarations to ourselves, talking about who are we, what are our what are our works, what is our life? You know, uh, the heroes are nothing before you, Hashem. We come early, we stay late in the in the house of a study. And then we have the declaration of God's oneness. And then we have the declaration of God's uh, sovereignty and dominion over all. And then it's like, all right, now that we've done all that, let's do some Corbin Oak. And then it's like, all right, shiny labor. Let's remove the ashes. Let's offer up the morning lamb. Let's do the Ketorit. Let's study a little bit about the Corbin Oak. And then let's get into the Psalms of Praise. And then it's like going and going and going. It's like and in the Psalms of Praise, right before we end, we're going to go to the song at the sea because that was a big deal. That took us to a whole nother level of Amuna, according to the Midrash Rabbah, it's called Yom Suf faith. So that's on a whole nother level. We have faith before, but after the Yom Suf, it was on a whole nother level. So that's another thing. Then after we do all that, we go into the blessings of the Shema. Then after the blessings of the Shema, we go into the Shemone Esrei, which is considered to be the holy of holies of our prayer time. Then we kind of bring it down a little bit with some repentance and some uh, beating of the chest with the Alvinu Malkenu and uh, some Taknun prayers when it's not the month of Nisan. And then we have a Torah reading. And then we talk about a Redeemer who's going to come to Zion. And then we go into the Elenu. Now, that's a loose format of the daily morning prayers. Time permitting, that's the, the realm of the bookends that you work within. You can do more, you can do less. Just depends on what you have time for. 
the main things that you want to make sure you do is Shema and the standing prayer. And if you don't have enough time to do the standing prayer, which is called the Shemone Esrei, the Amidah, if you don't have enough time to do that, then the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that Mashiach Yeshua taught his Talmudim, i.e. us, uh, that prayer can be substituted for the Shemone Esrei because it pretty much is a con uh, condensing of the Shemone Esrei. So, Mashiach, when he wanted to teach us how to pray, was like, yeah, you need to be praying the Shemone Esrei. So that's really cool. All right, so in the Siddur, right before we get to the Shemone Esrei, there's a big prayer about Ezrat, which is called the Helper. So the Helper of our forefathers are you alone forever, shield and savior for their children after them in every generation. And in here, we're going to get into a really cool thing that connects us back to the sea. And it says, from Mitzrayim, you redeemed us, Adonai, our God. And from the house of slavery, you liberated us. All their firstborn you slew, but your firstborn you redeemed. The sea of reeds you split. Yes, it says Hashem split it. The malicious sinners you drowned. The cherished ones you brought across and the water covered their foes. Not one of them was left. Say the water covered their foes. This right here is probably one of the biggest tells of why we need to have a mikvah, if not daily, as much as we possibly can, because every time you immerse into the mikvah, your foes, they get covered up. And remember the word braka is the same as the, is from the word brika, is related to it, slika, which means pool. So you have pools that come over yourself that flow out of your holy of holies. Literally, the water coming from the rock, because the rock was like a holy of holies. That's why the cleft of the rock was a big deal for Kepha to get put into it. So when you're saying your blessings, you know, your mouth is the holy of holies. We learned this from the Shemras Halashon and the Yom Tov uh, Hagamatzot Drash that, um, you know, you're pouring fresh water over yourself and covering all your foes. So with that being said, the footnote on this in the Siddur is uh, Tehillim 106.11, which is Psalm 106.11. So the thing is, I want to say something real quick. It says the Ezrat, Avotenu, the helper of our forefathers, the bottom of the Sidur page, it says this passage elaborates upon God's eternal supervision of Israel and master over its destiny. That's big statement. God's eternal supervision of Israel, i.e., God is never going to stop watching over Israel, contrary to popular belief that there is a new Israel and that's the church and supersessionism and all that other uh, stuff with those farce theologies. Second thing is mastery over its destiny. There's this whole thing about there's a mazel, a constellation that comes into the, the heavenlies every month and Everyone is governed by this mazel 
unless you are a part of Israel. So there is no mazel for Israel because if we are people of Teshuvah, if we're people who connect ourselves to Torah, which means we connect ourselves to our destiny beyond the stars. Talking about going beyond, yes, that's what happens when you connect yourself to Torah. Many people that aren't connected to Torah try to keep others from connecting to Torah because why? Misery loves company. But anyway, so that's important to note that God has your destiny. And your destiny basically is going to work hand in hand, pun intended, with the hand of Hashem. One of our uh, fellow uh, HCOs, our uh, hardcore onliner family members uh, that lives in Killeen, Texas. They tune in from time to time and uh, they have a beautiful meme that talks about uh, Mashiach said, choose life. Yehoshua, Joshua said, choose life. The disciples said, choose life. And so let me go to this picture here because it's absolutely just kind of like, wow. Okay. Go over here and then I go over here. Nope, not there. Right there. There we go. And he uh, he says that it is in our choices. Destiny is unwound like a spindle of precious thread weaved into the tapestry of the divine. I love it because you got to be weaved into the divine because Hashem is master over your destiny. If you are a part of Israel. So choosing life according to Mashiach, choosing life according to the Torah, choosing life according to Joshua and the disciples, that is going to bind you up with Hashem and make you like precious thread weaved into the tapestry of the divine. So absolutely incredible because again, you make yourself one with Hashem. That means you are now beyond creation. Now that that's kind of a blue screen for everybody. And if it's not, you know, then awesome to you. But just thinking about that is, is just like, how do we even get the opportunity for that? And it's only by Hashem's grace. Hashem, by his grace said, I want you to select a lamb on the 10th of Nisan. And I want you to tie it to your bedpost and watch over it. Cause on the 14th, you are to slaughter it and roast it over an open fire and you and your household are to partake of it and leave none, leave none of it left till the morning. And then there's going to be a plague of firstborn that's happening during that same night at midnight. And then I'll spare you from that. Have you had you placed this blood of this particular lamb that you selected on the doorpost? And then the following day, I'm going to take you out in the middle of the day to everlasting and eternal freedom. And it's just like, what part of that did we work to get? Because again, Hashem said, I'm going to do all this. I'm, I'm the master over all this. If you so choose, I will be the master of your destiny and I will supervise you forever. So that's the first thing to take into note because you did not make it to the splitting of the sea if you did not partake of the lamb during the night of the Seder. 
So that that's kind of something. Maybe you were a person who wasn't a firstborn and the plague uh, passed over you and you didn't eat the lamb because Hashem has mercy. And people who witnessed the death of the firstborn were like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to put my faith in Hashem. I want to go too. these Jewish people. That's something else. This, my friends, is called the era of Rav. People who witnessed all these mighty acts of God but never really wanted to place their trust in him and devote themselves to him. They're like, no, 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 he, he's the man. And it's like, we just going to follow. And it's like, all right, do you want to get circumcised? No. Do you want to uh, eat kosher? No. Do you want to uh, keep the Shabbat? No, I, I don't even know what that is. Okay, so those, these people followed. Mind you, they did not get encompassed by the clouds of glory. They were the people that were outside getting the fringe benefits. Because the overflow from the clouds created these beautiful oasis, garden-looking spring places everywhere the ark traveled and the camp set up. That when they would leave, the, the Jews were here. The way that was signed was by luscious meadows, beautiful springs, and these amazing trees with fruit that grew on them. And by the way, in those luscious meadows, the grass was so plush that it turned into couches for those who did not have bedding. So, yeah, that's that's from Legends of the Jews, uh, compendium of the Midrash. And it's it's ridiculous. So you put yourself in that mentality of, well, I didn't die on the, the death of the firstborn. And I made it, you know, out of Egypt, which nobody ever does because of those brazen dogs that always kept people from going out of the borders. That's a real thing. And then, uh, you know, the people got out and they're just like, wow, this is great. This is the life. Like, we don't have to want for anything. We got all this fruit over here. We got all these couches and da, 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 da. And look at that beautiful cloud up ahead of us. It's like, that's where the 600,000 plus Jews are. And those who decided to get converted during the Seder and become born again, because that's what the Seder is the equivalent of conversion and being born again. There's mikvahs, there's uh, purifications, there's uh, declarations, there's accepting upon yourselves new mitzvot, and there's a renewal of your service and devotion to Hashem. All that goes on during the Seder. You know, and the Corbin, the sacrifice is offered, you know, and all that. So we don't sacrifice today because we don't have a temple. But when we get that back, maybe soon in our time, we will. Because as a convert, you immerse in a mikvah, you get circumcised if you're a man, and you bring a Corbin, a sacrifice, an offering uh, when you're a convert, when you're a convert, when you're a when you are a convert, goodness, I want to talk so fast. But anyway, Tehillim 106.11, that talks about the water covering our foes, which is Zarehim. Okay, Zarehim is the word for covering our foe, or the word for our foes. And Zarai, or Zareh, is also related to 
Zorot, which is troubles. So our enemies are likened to troubles. So uh, if you look at the root of that word, one of the roots of it is Zara, which is the word for troubles or trials or tribulations. Yes, in this world, you will have these things, but take heart. I've overcome the world. You know, my shalom I give to you, which means the way you overcome your enemies, the way you overcome your troubles, take the shalom of Hashem, which is Yeshua, the Torah, the mitzvot. And when you rearrange the word Zara, you get the word Zohar, which means a window of light, an opening. Light penetrates through the troubles of your life. And you walk into that light. And when you walk in there, you're able to walk through your troubles. And the water covers your foes. In the big green book of Tehillim, it says, this is Kehot Tehillim. It says, when the Egyptians drowned in the sea, they left no meaningful contribution to the world. Not one of them remained. They did not bring the oneness of God into their lives, and so they left no godly imprint after their demise. We, however, fill our days with mitzvot and thus express the oneness of God with creation. When we pass on to the next world, we leave behind our spiritual contribution. What is that? The oneness of God that we introduce to the world. That is from Rabbi Yosef Yitzhak of Lubavitch. Sefer Hamarim Yiddish, page 102 through 103. Incredible. You want to leave a legacy and a mark on the world. You want to leave a contribution to creation. Express the oneness of God by filling your days with mitzvot. And again, mitzvot and matzot are the same. Filling up these seven days with mitzvot is like the most powerful thing that we could ever do. So the Pirke de Rebbe Eliezer, as we say, Pearl K, chapter 42, page 65, it came to pass when Paro had set the people free Shemot 13, 7. This event is reflected in the verse. When you were sent away from its rhyme, you were like a pomegranate orchard. Shir Hasharim 4.13. Side note, besides challah and uh, pancakes my and gummy bears, my other favorite fruit is pomegranate. So this is amazing because we resemble pomegranates which are on the, the hem of the Kohen Gadol as he intercedes for us in his temple service. Remember the pomegranate and the bells on the hem of the robe of the Kohen? And the pomegranate is likened to the mitzvot, which work to keep the bells from clanging against one another, as Rabbi Griffin from the Aliyah Day brought down, Parsha Tetzaveh. Man, so that's our redemption. That's our renewal. So every time we are entering into the mitzvot, we are freeing ourselves again, or we are experiencing freedom again. There we go, because we didn't free ourselves. Remember, we didn't set ourselves free. Hashem did. That's important. That's why Galatians chapter 5 is a big deal. For freedom, Mashiach set us free. 
Because remember, Mashiach is the Torah, which is the mitzvah, which is the matzot. And so as we partake of this matzah, we are eating our way into freedom. And that makes us like pomegranates. So I love it. You talk about being born again. Every single time you do a mitzvah, you're born again. This is the thing. I, I say this over and over again with eternal life. Everything is new and new and new. It's new and new and new and more new. Every day new. Every moment new. Every single time. Speak your way into eternal life. Speak your way into mitzvot. Speak your way into the window of light that makes a path through your enemies and troubles in your life. So that way the enemy covers your foes and you're set free and redeemed at every moment, at every time, in every hour with the shalom of Hashem. Oh, wait, that's in the Shemoni Esrei too. That's literally the concluding blessing of the 18 blessings that we recite of the Shemoni Esrei, the Amidah. So this is the power of our mouth activated. If you haven't done it for the six days of Pesach and Hakamatsot, then uh, it's about time to do it. And we're counting that Omer, and that's only giving us more superpower. So Hulk out. Goes on to say, just as an orchard is filled with fruit-bearing trees, so that Yisrael depart from Israel laden with the best of blessings. Rabban Gamliel says, When the Egyptians pursued the children of Israel to the shore of the Sea of Reeds, the Yam Suf, the children of Israel were trapped between the Egyptians and the sea. Talk about a rock and a hard place. The sea in front of them and the enemy behind them. Seeing the Egyptian army, the terrified people cast away all detestable idolatries of Egypt they had brought with them. Man, did you just hear that? We threw away our detestable idols of Egypt. We tried to take other holidays, other things that we, we believed in God for. We took that with us expecting to continue on and elevating into a Jewish life, being made again as a new creation. We wanted to take all that stuff with us. This looks exactly like what the church teaches people today, which means that the church doesn't take people to the sea. They lead people out of Egypt and cause them to stay trapped in the wilderness with the Egyptians may or may not be granted victory over slaughtering them while they're running around in circles in the wilderness. But they're out of Egypt. It's like, yeah, but if you go to the sea, which is where you're supposed to go, because you got to get the mikvah going so that you can go get the Torah, which means stop, don't even head anywhere. Just don't have an aim or goal for your freedom is basically what this is all boiling down to. And because of that, there's things like Xmas and Schmeesters, which, by the way, it freaked me out because people are talking about the Schmeester bunny giving gifts. And it's like, wait, what? So the eggs are conduits for bringing gifts from a deity and animated animal that lays eggs. So a bunny does not lay eggs which is crazy. So now you got an egg-laying bunny that delivers gifts. And it's like, okay, we're celebrating the resurrection. Woohoo! And it's like, wait, 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 wait. When you celebrate the birth, 
you're talking about a guy in all red with some white trimming and a big white beard who flies in the air in a sleigh with reindeer who's going to bring you gifts. So you focus on a tree and little square cube boxes that you have to kneel down to the tree in order to receive those gifts to get. And then you have to go bow down now in the springtime to the product of a demonic creature that laid eggs. Bunnies don't lay eggs. So how do you get a bunny to lay egg? Oh, yeah, you have to use witchcraft. You have to use sorcery. You have to be in idolatry. You changed up the natural order of creation for the sake of your own gain. That happens on Smeester and everybody's like, yeah, he rose. He is risen indeed. And it's like, whoo, somebody else rose, but it wasn't Yeshua. Because depending on when Smeester happens, Yeshua may or may not have rose at the proper or uh, on the appropriate time. Because the 16th of Nissan is always the 16th of Nissan, but Smeester, it always changes. It literally hops around the calendar. So now you got to chase the bunny so it can give you its egg so that you can get the gifts out of it. And when you get what you want, then you can praise the Lord and say he is risen indeed. And it's like, wow, is this really what we do as believers? Because here at the sea, we threw all that away. That's Egypt stuff. Get that out of here. Wow. Okay, so cast away detestable idols of Egypt. It can't come with you. Leave the tree in Egypt. Leave the eggs in Egypt. Leave the chocolate hearts and the little baby with the diaper and the love arrow in Egypt. Just leave it. Leave the, the pumpkin that's carved out with the weird looking face and the little lantern in it and the whole telling people you're going to uh, do something bad to them if they don't give you something that you like. Like, leave all that stuff. What are you doing? What are we doing? I mean, if you really just zoom out and take a look at that, is that not disturbing? Is that not seen as Asaph? Asaph just wanted what he wanted. He didn't care. He didn't think, oh, there's there's nothing beyond this. Because the very eternal life and the very heaven that the church wants to preach, and they preach it boldly and with lots of passion, they don't realize that that, that eternity and that heaven is in Israel on the Temple Mount bringing Corbinot. Could talk about that all day, but I won't, and I will go on. So they threw away their idols of Egypt that they brought with them, so they got rid of it. Doing complete teshuva. So your teshuva is not complete if you still have Egypt on you. And this is the beautiful thing about when you find out something Egyptian in your pocket or in your house, and you get rid of it. You continue to complete your teshuva. Your teshuva, by the way, will never be complete. But, you know, I mean, until obviously you are in the resurrection, which is when, you know, you'll be done with making shuva from sins and idolatry and stuff. But you still have the opportunity to make teshuva because even a Zodic can make shuva. So, yeah, you're never done making shuva. 
This is why we're going to be studying Torah in the Olam Haba. We're never done. We're never done. Because of what? It's new. It's new. It's new. And it's new. And it's new. And it's new. Going on, it says, and crying out to God, as it says, as Paro came close, the children of Israel looked up. Shemot 14.10. Looking at the distress of Israel, Moshe wanted to pray for them. Said HaKadosh Baruch Hu to him, why are you crying out to me? Speak to the children of Israel and let them start moving. Shemot 14.15. Anybody with a normal mind at this point is like, yeah. Move where, Hashem? He's like, you know where to... Really? You got to ask that question. There's a sea here. I don't see exactly how we're supposed to go forward. Such is the way of being with Hashem, everybody. If Hashem said do it, and it doesn't look like you can do it, trust Him, because He wouldn't tell you to do something unless you're able to do it. And again, people get all tripped up. Oh, nobody can keep all that law stuff. Really? You can't stop on a Friday night, sit down, bless your children, bless your wife, bless Hashem for being the creator of the universe and have a, a meal that you can praise him for and refrain from work for the next 24 hours. Like you can't do that. When you're, we're, on, we're under quarantine right now. It's a beautiful time to test it out. Anyway. Um, going on, it says Moshe replied, Moshe, with the enemy behind us in the sea in front of them, in which direction should they move? What did Hakadosh Baruch Hu do? He sent Mikael, the great heavenly prince, who became a wall of fire mm. between Israel and the Egyptians. The text of this uh, section says that the pillar of fire went behind the children of Israel and stood between them. So now we got the pillar of fire, which we know was Hashem, because the pillar of fire and pillar of cloud by day, that's Hashem standing going before us. Now he moves around behind us, but now it's like, well, that was Mikael. It's like, mm. so what are we saying? We're saying the oneness of Hashem includes the heavenly archangel Mikael, doing things in tandem with the will of Hashem. Just like Mashiach Yeshua should not be seen separate from Hashem. Because he says, I am my father of one and everything I do, I do the will of the one who sent me. I speak with the words that, that he speaks. You know, I do what I see my father doing. So it's just, it's mimicking, you know, why, which is why we have to do the same thing. You know, we mimic Hashem. We're imitators of Hashem. Oh, wait, that's another passage in one of the letters. Imitating Hashem because we're declaring his oneness? Okay. Going on to say that uh, the Egyptians chasing Israel could not get close because of the fire. Observing Israel's agony, the heavenly beings did not sing God's praises all night. Kadosh, 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 Adonai, Zevaot stopped. The four living creatures surrounding the throne singing that constantly, they stopped because of what was going on at the sea. The Holy One, blessed be he, said to Moshe, raise your staff, extend your hand over the sea and split it. 
Shemot 14, 17. Moshe extended his hand over the sea, but the sea refused to split. Even after Moshe showed it his Brit Milah, Yosef's uh, casket, the bones of Yosef, basically, and the staff on which the ineffable name of God was engraved, it still refused to split. That's a whole lot of signs right there. And the sea was like, I ain't impressed by signs. May we all take a lesson from the sea. <laughs> Moshe turned on, turned to the Holy One, blessed be he, saying, Master of all worlds, the sea refuses to obey me. Instantly, Hakadosh Baruchu himself appeared to the sea, whereupon the sea fled. The waters trembled, quaked, and shivered, and descended to the depth, as it says. The water saw you, O God. The water saw you and were terrified. Tehillim 77, 17. Rabbi Eliezer says, On the day the waters were gathered, they froze, forming 12 passageways between the tribes flanked by walls of water. The walls between the passageways had what? Windows. Remember the window we talked about, the Zohar? That was in the sea. We all had a Zohar so we could see everybody. So the people could see each other. They also saw HaKadosh Baruchu walking before them. So wait, Hashem shows up, the whole sea splits, and then in each passageway, Hashem is walking before us. But Hashem is one. Just think about that for a second. Because remember, at the mountain again, the voice of Hashem spoke, and there were 70 languages going out at one time. All these different lightning bolts and fires and shofar blasts and each of the mitzvot were coming to each of the children of Israel, speaking in the voice of Hashem, saying, do you accept me upon you? Again, this is Or HaKhaim, Shemot 19 stuff, Exodus 19, brings this all down. So one Hashem, Hashem is one, but yet all these things manifest from him. Kind of reminds me of I am the vine and you are the branches. One vine, but all these different branches, these offshoots here, but it's connected to one source. This is why we can't get caught up in trinities, because people think, oh, yeah, the Holy Spirit is God. The Son of God is God. And then God is the Father. And it's like, yeah, what about the Shekinah? What about the Torah? What about the mitzvot? You know, just to name a few things. What about the rock? What about the cloud? You know, what about each of these pathways that Hashem was walking in? Not to mention the fact he was standing behind us as a wall of fire because the pillar of cloud was behind the pillar of fire was behind us. And then you had the uh, you had the whole thing of Hashem being already ahead of us, you know. So, I mean, we're looking at a whole lot of things that are surrounding us and it's like Hashem is one. I'm showing you I'm one. This is what oneness looks like. Which is the whole point in the wisdom of the in the Hebrew months, volume two. I was reading about the month of Nisan and it was talking about Kalal Israel, the, the, the community of Israel is likened to a sheep. Because as one limb of the sheep uh, experiences pain, so does the rest of the body of the sheep. So Israel, if one thing happens to one Jew, the, all the other Jews feel it as if it has happened to them. So yes, a body of many members, this is not a foreign concept. So when we look at 
Mashiach Yeshua, who is the body of many members, i.e. the Lamb of God, which is Israel, which is Israel is the Son of God, Yeshua is the Son of God, okay, all of that, because they are one, you know, and we're all flowing in that oneness. Mashiach Yeshua and Colossians 1 says, I, he is the image of the invisible. So if the invisible Hashem has all these manifestations, how much can we see of that in Yeshua, right? And in, in ourselves. So it's like this chain that kind of goes down into physicality so we can see more and more on a Peshat level of what that looks like. Yeshua says, I'm sending you out you know, as sheep among wolves, you know, and if they accept you, they're accepting me. If they're rejecting you, they're rejecting me. So when each person goes out as an emissary of Mashiach and people go, oh, no, I don't accept you. You're not a true, you're not a true Jew. And it's like, but I'm Yeshua's emissary. Why don't you accept me? If we remember for just a moment, we're not being rejected. We're emissaries. It's not about rejecting us or accepting us. It's about rejecting Yeshua or accepting Yeshua, which is rejecting or accepting or accepting Hashem. So it is so far beyond just us. And this the, another thing we have to realize is that the whole part of uh, Chag HaMatzot is to bring us to that awareness and that reality of our unity. That it's not just... It's not just Captain Israel by himself. It's not just Mighty Haver. It's not just the Incredible Talmud, Mikael by himself. It's not just, you know, Ishpela. It's not just Lukod. It's not just, you know, the amazing Chazan. You know, it's not just any of us single people. It's not just Shomer Man over here. We're all together. We're all one and linked. And if somebody's rejecting us, they're rejecting the one who sent us. So anyway, they also saw the Holy One, blessed be he, walking before them, but they neither saw nor perceived his footsteps. The picture of the sand uh, that has the little verse uh, from scripture where it talks about the footsteps in the sand, that whole picture just got demolished because if Hashem were to walk before us, he would leave no footsteps. So that's something. Uh, going on to say in Talim 68.25, it says that they saw your ways, O God, but yet they didn't perceive footsteps. And it says, in the sea, your way and your path went through the mighty waters and your footsteps were not known. Talim 77.20. I just want to hit up 68.25 real quick, and then we'll end our time in the Rabbah and uh, the the uh, blah, 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 blah. the legends of the Jews. There we go. I want I'm gonna read that first because I want to end in the Rabbah. Okay, so sixty-eight twenty-five. Israel is deserving of their Yeshua, their salvation, for they saw you go into the sea with your pillar of cloud. The singers began. That's Rashi and Medzudot. The singers began. Who are these singers? It says, as the Israelites followed God, which means what? When Yeshua says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. When Hashem says, today, if you hear my voice. When we follow Hashem, we need to understand that it does not look like being in the uh, quote-unquote natural law of things. Hashem said, follow him, 
which meant move forward, which was the sea. Normally, if you walked into a sea, you'd have to get your swimmers out. But we ended up being able to walk through the sea, and Hashem's hand lifted us and guided us through. And there was all sorts of stuff going on while we were in it. So yes, that means as we're in our day-to-day -day lives, going through the natural and the mundane into the the uh, holy uh, supernatural of Shabbats and Yom Tovs as those occur within these cycles. We're following Hashem and we're walking beyond the constraints of the natural world as we do so. So therefore, when we go to work, yeah, we got to drive, we got to clock in and all that normal stuff. But as we're doing that, we're fusing supernaturalness into it because why? We're connecting ourselves to Hashem as we're doing these things. So your work that's natural now becomes supernatural work. Anyway, Hashem wants us to fuse the natural and the supernatural. It cannot be separate. And this would create a beautiful tikkun for if you think about, because uh, I, I used to go to church, so I'm, uh, I'm, I always have these personal experience stories, that we have such a beautiful service and we feel like on fire for God and like we're just going to float through the roof. Well, we go to the parking lot, get in our cars and praise, bless be the Lord for a miracle sometimes because, man, the parking lot after service is ruthless. You talk about Royal Rumble. You talk about the gauntlet you talk about like thanos's army like that goes down at a church parking lot right after service and don't let service end close to lunchtime oh man it's on but it's like wait 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 we just got through being like oh lord we love you oh you did these amazing things there's a man over the river and he's healing a blind man uh, Got me, oh, that great Hashem pilgrim through this barren land. Ah, thank you. You know, and we're like, all oh, I'm talking field. And then we get in the parking lot. We try to run somebody over and don't let nobody cut you off. Oh, my word. So this is why it's so beautiful that your your natural and your supernatural are are interlinked. Again, as was brought down from this meme I just shared with you, you're interwoven as a divine tapestry with Hashem. Like, you're choosing life, right? So anyway, so these singers, it says, The Israelites followed God and the Egyptians drowned in the sea. They proceeded to sing a song of praise. That's from the Medzudo. According to Rashi, the musicians refers to the angels, who after hearing the Jews singing, praise to God, they began to sing as well. And then it goes on to say, in the midst of the maidens playing timbrels, it says Almot. Yes, that is connected to the word Alma, which is the virgin, the young maiden. It can mean all of that. Again, go see that drosh. Shabbat Kol HaMoet, Sar Shalom, 5780 for Pesach. Okay, anyway, goes on to say, in the midst of Israel singing praise to God, Miriam took a timbrel in her hand, which, by the way, she had from when Moshe was born. So this is over 80 years ago that she had this timbrel. And she knew one day she would play this timbrel upon being delivered from Egypt. So how about that for having hope in Hashem's redemption? 
I pray it doesn't take a shim 85 years or more to get here. But even if it does, man, I will have the hope of Miriam because that's what I choose to do. And that's a that's a hard thing to admit out loud, but I got to. It ain't we can't play no games, man. But anyway, Miriam took this timbrel in her hand and together with her maidens sang a song of praise. So it was like, was it Miriam and the maidens or was it the children of Israel or was it the angels? And the answer is yes. All right. Let's go ahead and get into it, because this is something I wanted to share for like ever. Legends of the Jews, page 1206, says the Egyptians endeavored to save themselves from the sea by conjuring charms, for they were great magicians. David Blaine's and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Houdini's. And it says of 10 measures of magic allotted to the world, they had taken nine for themselves. And indeed, they succeeded for the moment. So that's the thing. You may be able to do all this magic, witchcraft, sorcery stuff, but it's temporary. It says they escaped out of the sea. But immediately the sea said to itself, how can I allow the pledge entrusted to me by God to be taken from me? So the water was like, uh, no. And it says, and the water rushed after the Egyptians and dragged back every man of them. Among the Egyptians were the two arch magicians, Janus and Jumbris. Yes, from the writings to Timothy, the ones who opposed Moshe. Here's one of the appearances of them in the oral Torah, because this is the only other place you can find Janus and Jumbris. In the written text, you don't find Janus and Jumbris, so Shaul had to have studied the oral Torah. Anyway, which if he studied it and didn't do it, that's not good. And if he studied it and didn't teach it, but yet he's using stuff from the oral Torah, then he must think that the oral Torah is importante. Anyway, they made wings for themselves with which they flew up to Shemaim. They made wings for themselves. So Here's to all those times you wanted to fly as a child. Well, that that's possible if you use sorcery. So don't do that. Just stick with your imagination, kids, and don't do this at home. All right. It says, and they also said to Paro, if God himself had done this thing, we can affect not. But if this is the work that had been put into the hands of an angel, then we will shake the lieutenants into the sea. That's bold. It's like, if this was a Shem, we can't do it. But if this was a Shem's angels, oh, we got this. Wow. Says they proceeded at once to use their magic contrivances, contrivances, whereby they dragged the angels down. These cried up to God, save us, O God, for the waters are coming into our soul. So when we walked into the Yom Suf at first, the water went up to our nostrils and we began to drown and then Hashem pulled the water away. Well, the same thing happened to these angels because Janice and Jambres went up and grabbed on the angels and started pulling them down into the sea to drown them. That's ridiculous. And it says, speak thy word that will cause the magicians to drown in the mighty waters. Here's what's Hashem speaking his word looks like and Gabriel cried to God by the greatness of thy great glory 
dash thy adversaries to pieces. Hereupon God bade Mikael go and execute judgment upon the two magicians. The archangel, the archangel seized the hold of Janus and Jambres by the locks of their hair and shattered them against the surface of the water. All right, so let's get into the Merbah here. Hashem handling it, Henny and that business look like Mikael. Get him. All right. First up here, Midrash Abah. Uh, let's see, 2111. And I, behold, I shall strengthen the heart of Paro. And he will pursue them, and I will be glorified through Paro and through his entire army. Being glorified through Paro, it says, Rabbi Shimeon ben Lakish said, This verse can be illustrated by means of a parable. It may be compared to two athletes. By the way, the rabbi speaking with parables, Yeshua did that. Just want to point that out. It says, This can be compared to two athletes. One of them was a weak one. And one of whom was strong, the strong prevailed over the weak one and received a crown upon his head. Now, who caused the strong one to take the crown? Was it not the weaker one? Similarly, who caused Hakadosh Baruchu to take praise and glory? Was it not Paro, who he whom he threw into the sea? And as it is stated. And he threw Paro and his army into the Sea of Reeds. Tehillim 136.15 Therefore our verse states, and I will be glorified through Paro. Going on it says, What did, the, what did HaKadosh Baruch Hu do? While the Egyptians were drowning in the Sea of Reeds, he indicated to the land of Egypt, and it rose up into the air miraculously, and they, i.e. the Egyptians who remained, after all that death stuff, the 10th plague, the Egyptians who had remained in Egypt were viewing the war at the sea. Full on war was going on. Again, I want to bring up Avengers Endgame. That took place at the Yom Suf. That's what the Yom Suf was like. Okay. And then it goes, because there were plagues going on as well, like times five. And it says, as it is stated, Egypt said, I shall flee before Israel, for Hashem is waging war for them against Egypt. Okay, it says Egypt cried out that they would flee upon witnessing God's war against their comrades in the sea. Thus, the first time the word Mitzrayim, which is the word for Egypt, appears in the verse, it, it refers to the Egyptians who remained in Egypt. And the second time it appears, it refers to the ones who were suffering in the sea. See Imre Yosher. Going on to say, the Egyptians had not previously been submerged underwater. In what sense was the water or was the water to go back upon Egypt? This is now in 22.1 of the Rabbah. It says, Rabbi Eliezer, talking about foxes. Go on down. It says, The Holy One, blessed be he, said to them, Wicked ones, indeed, I have already sworn that I will never bring a flood upon the world. The introduction here, they were bringing down about the foxes being cunning because the Egyptians were like, Hashem said he wasn't going to flood the world again. So 
we're over here where Hashem could flood. And it's like, well, he's not going to flood us. So we'll be like, we'll be fine. So we'll go into the water and Hashem can't flood us. So that's fine. So this is where the response comes in. Hakados Baruku said to them, wicked ones, indeed, I've already sworn that I would never again bring a flood upon the world. But what shall I do to you? Rather, I shall bring you Egyptians to the flood and I will drag each of you to his own personal flood. I.e., rather than bringing a flood to the land of Egypt, God will bring the Egyptians to the sea, i.e. the Sea of Reeds, and they shall drown there. Thus, while the Egyptians will escape being punished collectively with a nationwide flood, each one of the per perpetrators will individually receive his punishment through water without God's oath being violated. And I love this, too, because when we go into the water, we are taking up on ourselves the death of an Egyptian, i.e. we're killing the idolatry in ourselves, which is why when we wash our hands and say, and soon in our days, amen, may it be so, that we enter into the waters of our own kosher mikvah, it is like we go into that water and we kill the Egypt in us every single time we immerse. So continuing on in the 22-1, goes on to say, let's see here, because, okay, yep, let's go 22-2. It says, another interpretation, and the water will go back on Egypt. Rabbi Yochanan said, when the last of the people of Israel emerged from the bed of the sea. The last of the army of Egypt descended into it. But Rabbi Shimeon ben Lakish says the sea closed up on both the Egyptians and the Israelites from all its four directions. Moshe then said before Hakadosh Baruchu, what should Israel do to escape the oncoming water? God responded to him. You need not involve yourself. Why is that? Because I shall perform a miracle for them. At that moment, Hakadosh Baruch Hu sent forth his hand and raised the Israelites out of the sea. As, it, as scripture states, he went forth from on high and took me. He drew me out of deep waters. Tehillim 18.17 So, he raised us up out of the sea. So we were walking on water, which was the hand of God. Is it any wonder that Yeshua, who is the hand of God, was walking on water and caused Kepha to also do the same thing because he chose to be obedient to the words of Mashiach? And the reason Kepha walked on water was not for the sake of walking on water. It was actually for the sake of making sure this was Yeshua. Many times we want to perform miracles and do all sorts of crazy things for the sake of the miracle and not for the sake of knowing Hashem. If knowing Hashem is at the center of everything that we do, that is our best case scenario. And it says, okay, because if you think about uh, Abraham and then Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, the only reason they were delivered from the furnace was because they wanted to know Hashem. They knew Hashem and they they were willing to die for the sake of Hashem's name. 
And the fire was not anything, you know, of rev reverence to them. I'm reading in the Wellsprings or the Torah Wellsprings uh, for Parsha Shemini, trying to get ready for that podcast. And one of the things that they were saying in there was about the COVID-19 scenario that many people are are uh, paralyzed by fear and that we should not fear the disease, but fear the one who brought the disease. And you're like, no, Hashem didn't bring COVID-19. And it's like, really? Because Hashem didn't bring wild beasts and locusts and, you know, hell and uh, death of the firstborn. He didn't do any of that, no. Like, no, COVID-19 only exists because of Hashem allowing it. And if we fear COVID-19 more than we fear Hashem, that's a problem. So that's one of the things that uh, I thought was really important because as we look at our life you know what's taking away our fear of Hashem and causing that fear that should be granted to Hashem causing that fear to be turned and devoted towards something else you know we should be fearing Hashem and fearing Hashem alone and that fear should be working together with the love that we have for Hashem because we're supposed to unify the fear and love of Hashem. And it's like, well, if we're so spending so much time focused on fearing this or fearing that or or this or that, and it's not any room for Hashem, it's just kind of like, gotta, gotta fix the balance there, fix the priority of fear. Fear Hashem first. Hashem is bigger than COVID-19. Hashem can do way worse than COVID-19. So, yeah. Going on, it says, Rabbi Abahu said, it is comparable to one who saw the troops of brigands converging upon him. And at that time, his, his son was with him. What did the person do to protect his son from danger? He took his son in one hand and he was battling against the troop with the second hand. And his son then said to him, it's probably not a good time to talk, but apparently the son is like, okay, hey, dad, I know you're busy right now. I just need to say something. The son said to him, father, may I never witness a lack of strength in those two hands of yours. The one that is holding me and the one that is killing the brigands in their attack, attacking troop. You know, it kind of sounds like this word should be brigades, but it does say brigands. So this is the Midrash Shabbat art scroll commentaries. All right. Anyway, so that's legit. Similarly, Israel said, Hakadosh Baruchu, may there be shalom upon those two hands of yours, the one that was saving us from the sea and the one that was churning the Egyptians in the sea. As scripture states, your right hand Adonai is glorified with strength. Your right hand Adonai smashes the enemy. So the water goes back. It says that it does not state the sea will go back. Rather, the verse states the water will goes back. Will go back. From here it is derived that at this point all the waters of the world return to their original undivided state. Reversing the universal splitting of all bodies of water described in Midrash Rabbah 21:6 above. Accordingly, scripture uses the general term mayim, 
which is for water, rather than the more specific yam, which is the word for sea. So when Hashem split the sea, it's actually he split the yam. I mean the uh, the mayim, which is the waters, all the waters of the world. Going on to say, people revered Hashem, section three. Um, this is interesting. And in 22.3, that the exodus from Egypt is deemed more difficult than the splitting of the sea. Because regarding the exodus from Egypt, it is written, I am Hashem, your God, who is taking you out of the land of Egypt from the house of slavery. Shemot 20, verse 2. And then it says, however, the verse does not mention the name of God in the connection with the splitting of the sea. That is, when God gave the Ten Commandments to Israel, he did not identify himself as the one who split the sea, but rather as the one who took them out of Egypt. So, this is again why it's so important to know splitting the sea was like, oh my gosh, this is ridiculous. And it's like, you know what's more ridiculous? Getting out of Egypt. Causing someone who's a sinner to be born again. That's ridiculous. Janice and Jumbers can do all sorts of stuff. The water can move and grab people and half the half the bottom of the depths could uh, congeal up like a frozen rainbow bridge and pomegranate trees and all sorts of other fruits can grow out of the channels of water for the crying babies and Hashem is going to walk before you and you're going to see Hashem walking, but you're not going to see his footsteps. That's going to be like blow your mind, ridiculous. But here's the point. You are free from Egypt, and that is where my name is. So that that's just kind of crazy. And then it goes on to say, and why then is one required to mention the splitting of the sea and the blessing of Emet Ve'adziv? True and uh, right. It is fitting for us. Let me go to that. Emet Ve'adziv. That actually, again, that's a part of our uh, liturgy. We actually say this at nighttime. So I'm going to go to Mamariv Baraka. And right after the Shema, where we say Adonai Elohekim Emet, we say, Oh no, that's, that's the, that's Amuna where we say, and faithful is all this. The other one, yeah, we do say this in the morning. All right, so yeah, where we say, Adonai Elohekim emet ve'atziv. There we go, emet ve'atziv. So we literally connected, there's no break. I was looking at the beginning of the prayer because it says ve'atziv ve'nakon, which is uncertain and established. But we literally come right out of our third paragraph of the Shema where we say I am I don't know your God it is true and we connect right to and certain so emet is connected to yatziv which is certain okay so that's in our morning Shema and at night we connect our truth 
to faithfulness. Both of them have to do with getting out of Egypt. There is a true and establishment, and then there's a true and a faithfulness. So faith and trust is happening twice a day. And one of the reasons it says in the commentaries, why do we say Amuna at night, like faithful? Because just like Hashem was faithful to restore our souls to our bodies so that we could arise in the morning, to remember that that previous day that we just experienced, Hashem was faithful in bringing our soul back to our body, so we can remember Hashem will be faithful to deliver us from exile. So there's that. So, and why then is one required to... To mention the splitting of the sea and the blessing of Amet Yadziv and the morning Shema prayer leading to the Amidah, it is because once God has split the sea for the Jews, then they have faith in him. As our verse states, they have faith in Hashem and in Moshe, his servant. And in the merit of faith in God that they had, they merited to recite a song of praise to him and furthermore, the divine presence rested upon them. For it is written immediately after this, the verse describing their newfound faith. Then Moshe and the children of Israel chose to sing this song to Hashem. Uh, then going on here. It's all about the song at the sea. That increased our faith in Hashem. It says, At the splitting of the sea, they saw that God administers judgment, measure for measure. For there the Egyptians were drowned in retribution for drowning the Israelite babies. That's in 23.3 of the Midrash Rabbah, footnote 11. And I want to end with this uh, Yom Suf faith. I don't remember if I bookmarked it or not. Let's see if I can. Yeah, you're Baruch Hashem. Uh, 23.5 of the Shemot Rabbah, Midrash Rabbah Shemot. And the insight on the page is called it's called Sea Level Faith. And I just renamed it to uh, Yom Suf Faith. Yom Suf Amuna. I'm going to give you a couple of highlights that I highlight highlight over here it says other take a more inquisitive. OK, because go back, realizing that a human being cannot fully apprehend the divine. They despair of inquiring into the subject at all and accept the principles of Jewish theology without a second thought. So that's one type of faith that a person can have. Because it says, among those who have true faith in God, there are two types. That's the first one. The second one, this is why I highlight it, because maybe we all be like this. Or, you know, we can be like either one, as long as we have faith in Hashem. I mean, everybody has their own path, so we have to give space for that, obviously. Others take a more inquisitive and more commendable approach. They attempt to understand what they can of God's exalted attributes when they reach the limits of their intellectual capacity, and they sense that they have barely scratched the surface. They are treated to a glimpse of the infinity 
of God's greatness. At that point, they recognize the utter they recognize the utmost clarity that God's greatness is unknowable and that it therefore must be taken on faith. And it goes on to say, Jews grew more from their experiences than one might expect. Not satisfied with absorbing absorbing the rarefied knowledge of God that they had gained from the miracles, they went further, extrapolating from what they knew his true greatness or extrapolating from what they knew that his true greatness far exceeds what had what they had seen and understood. So extrapolating from what they knew, which is his true greatness far exceeds what they had seen and understood. So we don't want just the rare knowledge of knowing God and we don't want just the miracles but we want to understand your greatness is far beyond what we have already seen and what we could possibly ever try to understand. And it says they walked along the trail of faith blazed by their forefather, Abraham for Abraham too possessed a high degree of theological knowledge surrounded on all sides by idol worshipers surrounded on all sides by idol worshipers He spent many years searching philosophically for the creator of the universe and for understanding of him. Once he had succeeded, God raised him even above the stars. Supplementing his self-acquired knowledge with an insider's look at the universe. Yet, scripture testifies that he had faith in Hashem, Bereshit, Genesis 15, 6, showing that Abraham inferred from his lofty knowledge that God is loftier and infinitely so than anything he could ever comprehend. In this way, Abraham was the model for his descendants' superior C-level faith. May we all have C-level faith, anticipate the arrival of our king sooner in our days, And though he tarries, we shall believe, have our timbrels ready, just like Miriam did, and be ready to sing a new song upon the final redemption. Baruch Haba Beshem Adonai.